So today, we're going to continue on in our series on old roots. I hope you guys will excuse me. We're all family. I can share this, right? Last night, I bit my tongue really hard. And so it's got a big bruise and it's swollen. And so if you hear me saying some words kind of funny, you'll know why. (laughs) So please excuse that. So if you've been here for any significant amount of time, um, a lot of the language that we're going to talk about will be familiar to you, and that's intentional. uh, Because we think that that using that language really helps um, make us more fluent in the gospel. So by now you've heard our mission statement, but I don't think we can hear that enough. We exist to glorify God. Then we go on to explain that uh, on how, and that's through seeing lives transformed for the gospel. All right, got it? Good? So we as a church are supported on three pillars. We've been talking about those, Christ, community, and commission. So Craig preached to us on Christ and how he is all-sufficient. And then Jesse preached to us on community, and that's where that all-sufficient Christ gets worked out in our lives and the lives of fellow believers. And then today we'll talk about commission or mission and how it's where the all-sufficiency of Christ gets worked out in our lives and the lives of unbelievers. Let me say that again. Mission is where the all-sufficient Christ gets worked out in our lives and the lives of unbelievers. So some of you know about Zuzi, spelled Z-U-Z-Y. She is a... uh, Uh, 20-year-old, very gifted musician uh, from the Czech Republic. And she came to see America. Uh, She was a a church-based a cappella group. And she lived with Michelle and I uh, for a period of time. Now, the Czech Republic is one of the most secular countries in the world. I think they say that like a half or less than a half a percent of people even proclaim that they're Christians. So there's a long story there, and we'll get into a little bit more of it later. But... uh, If you're visiting or you're new and you don't have a Bible, we have them on the ends of the aisles. And uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Scriptures, we want you to take that with you. We want that to be our gift to you because we'd love to have a copy of the Scriptures in your hand. So if everybody will turn to John 15, um, I'd also like you to flip to 2 Corinthians 5 and keep a finger there. We're going to refer to that a little later. While you're turning there, I'm going to open us in prayer. God, I just pray that you would open our hearts. Open our hearts to your word and what you've prepared for us today. We frequently pray, God, make me more like Jesus. Jesus was constantly on mission for your kingdom. That's all he did. God, may our hearts overflow with your love for us. And we just ask that your peace would pour over us. And may that overflow Drive us to love others. Amen. So if you're in John 15, let's uh, start in verse 15, and I'm going to jump right in and read it to you. My version might be just slightly different than yours. It says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. 
And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love one another. So we'll look at a couple of points about mission. Then we'll check out some things that stand in the way. Uh, and then we'll talk about specifically what mission has looked like here at Red Tree. Fair enough? I'm told that I have, if I'm going to preach here, I have to start using that phrase, fair enough, and work that into my sermons along with all the other Jeffisms that we know. <laughs> so um, if that gets up in your kitchen, <laughs> then I know that that's jacked. Yeah. Are you tracking with me on this? All right, I found one definition uh, that said that uh, mission is defined as a sending or being sent for some specific purpose. That's a definition, but it doesn't speak to the motive for mission. Because see, it's only out of the overflow of our heart that mission is going to be authentic. And that overflow starts with our belief in the entire truth of the gospel. You might be thinking, well, I haven't been a Christian for very long, or I'm not gifted in evangelism. If you're saved by Jesus, then you are called. Scripture's filled with disciples making disciples, and it doesn't quantify their qualifications. Matthew 28 is talking to disciples and telling them to go and make disciples. Jesus didn't say, follow me, and I'll let you continue to be my followers. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Notice he also didn't say, follow me, and after you're solid in your walk, I'll make you fishers of men. The book Gospel-Centered Life says that we tend to make the gospel a private reality, and we do. It's all about my heart, my transformation, my growth, what do I need to do to be a good Christian, now this may make you a little uneasy, but any disciple who's not sharing the good news is selfish. How else could you describe someone who keeps all of God's blessings and the most amazing news in the universe to themselves? Jesus brought us up from the mushy, muddy, cold, darkest, deepest lake where our bodies were dead and rotting and decaying and sloughing to walk on top of the water into the warm and bright loving arms of our Father. We didn't choose Him though. He chose us. That is unbelievably good news. We have a new identity as a living person that's changed from our old identity as a dead person. Why? For His glory. We're invited into God's party and we need to only respond with a yes. A heartfelt yes that leads to a changed heart that then drives us to a changed life. Sometimes we overemphasize our role. Sometimes we think that the reason we're called to be on mission is to save people. Well, we can plant and we can water, but God's the one that grows, right? Unconditional love means that we will pour in without regard for the results, because the results aren't up to us. Sometimes we underemphasize our role. We say, oh, well, if God doesn't need me, then why do I reach out? He's got it all handled. He's all-powerful. But think of it this way. A carpenter uses a tool to drive a nail. 
And he doesn't use a level or a saw. He chooses a very specific tool, a hammer, for this very specific job. Now, I know that God's not a carpenter, pun intended. <clears throat> so he doesn't have to use the hammer. He can just will that nail into the wood. But he doesn't do that. He asks us to be that hammer in his hand and to be involved with him in such a beautiful salvation story. How much sweeter is it when it goes that way? If God says, this is the very best I've picked out specifically for you, how can we think that we have a better plan? We're saved from the darkness of death by Jesus' crucifixion, but we're also saved to something by his resurrection. We're saved to be ambassadors for Jesus, to represent him to the world, to bring glory to God by being a tool in his hands. That's what we're called to. God commands us to be disciples. John 15, 16 says to go, like we just read, go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Matthew 28 says go and make disciples. Yes, it's a command, and we should follow that command. Here's the problem. If we're called only to a command by obedience, it's a bit lacking in luster. When you're just following the law, it doesn't change your heart, it only changes your behavior. When we take out the trash because Dad tells us to, you know, how much enthusiasm is there, right? But we feel like there's two ways. We can either do what we didn't want to do begrudgingly and hate it, or we can disobey and do nothing. But I'm going to put it to you that there's a third choice. And that's the gospel. Because the gospel fixed our relationship with Dad. Now when you do chores, because you feel loved and because you love those in charge of you, you want to please them. There's a bit of a pep in your step when you do things. And it's that overflow of love that drives us. That is worship. That is inspirational. It comes from the Spirit. Upon hearing the good news about the field, the man in his joy goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. From Matthew 13, 44. This guy is a total sellout for the cause. Again, we're saved from something, yes, but we're also saved to something, a purpose, mission. We can always count on the all-sufficiency of Jesus to fill our cup and completely overflow it. By submitting to his ways instead of demanding our own ways, that overflow then drives our hearts to be on mission much, much more than obligation ever could. But we still let things stand in the way. Jeff has mentioned in one of his sermons a quote by Spurgeon that says, Disciples of Jesus are either missionaries or imposters. Spurgeon's always got a gut punch for you, doesn't he? So what idols stand in your way? What kind of things make you an imposter? Usually in our culture here, it's mostly comfort or time, or it's reputation. Or stated less diplomatically, selfishness and pride. Our comfortable desires come first. Maybe that's entertainment with some TV veg out time that goes to a ridiculous level. Or our kids that are into so many sports that we don't know if we're coming or going having the latest electronics and knowing how everything works together and what the newest invention is and, and how it interfaces. And I'm not saying these comforts are all bad. I just wonder where they fall in our list of priorities. 
In some places, Christians will willingly gather in the dark of night so that they won't be killed. I, I bet that they don't pass up an opportunity to worship to go watch a rugby match or to binge watch some zombie-based soap opera, do they? How can we say, well, normally I go out and I serve the homeless people where they live. We take them food and we take them clothing to help them survive. I do that through churches on the streets ministry. Uh, but tonight, man, it's five degrees. I'm not going out there. I'm going to stay home. How about our reputation? Are we willing to make a fool of ourselves to the next door neighbor because we stumble over our words? telling them about Jesus or, or uh, to be made fun of by several co-workers who are pointing and laughing and talking about how archaic our position on religion is. Maybe your accomplishments are your idol. Getting your to-do list done. I confess, that's mine. It is. I frequently get my identity from my own productivity. I validate myself. Maybe you're fed by gaining everyone else's attention or your own recognition, by your dedication to some sort of efficiency or excellence. And man, that guy just always does it well. It's always put together. And you're doing it not because it's excellent for the Lord, but so that you can be recognized for your excellence by people. Can you, see it's, you see how it's dangerous to poison our own turf where we live, work, and play? But when we're overflowing because of our confidence in the promises of Jesus, then Romans 1.15 applies, even death has lost its sting. When you no longer fear death, are you possibly even embrace it so that we can go and be with Jesus and we see it that beautifully? A little disapproval doesn't mean very much. I even go so far as to say it's very dangerous to avoid telling people of Jesus in our lives. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 tells us do not, to, do not quench the Spirit. You see, passive Christians believe they can be a witness for God just in their everyday life. How I live my life, people see that, and that tells them all about God without ever mentioning the word Jesus. You've heard of the, the phrase, spread the gospel always. Use words when necessary. I don't agree with that. I told this story in my last sermon. It's from Gospel Fluency, and it's worth repeating. This is very applicable here. A man, we'll call him Larry, he became a Christian during an evangelistic outreach that happened in the uh, Pacific Northwest, I think it was. And Larry came back, and he told his boss all about it, told him the whole story. And the boss said, man, that is great. I'm a Christian too. I've been praying for you for years. Larry responded with, why didn't you ever tell me you were a Christian? You're the very reason that I've not been interested in the gospel all these years. The boss was confused. He's like, how can that be? I've done my very best to live the very best Christian life around you. And Larry told him, that's the point. I convinced myself that you could live such a good and happy life without Christ, and so could I. It's dangerous to not tell. We can actually be counterproductive and standing in the way of God's purpose. We're all ambassadors for something. What is it? So if you're avoiding telling people the reason for the hope that's within you, I'd like to challenge you to confess that in your GCs. And then GC members, I challenge you to hold each other accountable to that. We can ask each other some of the hard questions. How specifically is the gospel better than your idols or selfishness and pride in this particular situation?
If you'd like help on how to practically implement that, we can walk you through that. Uh, Sam is here, Jeff is here, Jesse's here, I'm here. So after the service, we'll be happy to, to talk with you about that. But I put it to you that the reason that we don't share the best news ever is not because of lack of skills, it's not because of fear, and I'll prove it to you right now. Let's say you went on the best vacation ever, right? Your dream vacation, and it was more than you could imagine. I mean, it just pumps you up, right? Let's say it's um, Universal Studios or, or some majestic site, and it was just so much more. The rides, the food, the special effects, the virtual reality just blew you away. Maybe it was like some really majestic scenery. The whole family got along and drew closer. Each day just blew the previous day away, and you guys are excited. Whatever it was for you, it's the best vacation you could ever imagine, and you can't wait to go back. You just can't contain your passion about this newfound thrill. Now you're home. Do you avoid telling people? Because you have a knowledge deficit about the place you were? Because you're not an expert on Universal Studios and everything that goes on behind the scenes? Or because, what if they ask me questions and I don't know the answers? Not me. <laughs> Mine was the Grand Tetons. I just came out and started vomiting on anybody that would listen all about it. I told them everything I could think of, jumbled or not. I couldn't wait to start. So technique's not our problem. Fear is not our problem. What stands in our way is a lack of passion that overrides our idols. Because there's some part of Jesus that we don't fully believe. And so because of that, our cup's not overflowing. What part of the gospel don't you fully believe so that it transforms your heart into one of passion? Is it the paid in full stamp on your sin debt? I'm not sure Jesus' crucifixion can cover how horrible I've been. Is it that broken relationship that's so crushed? I don't know the gospel strong enough to repair mine. The same gospel that repaired the relationship between all sinners and God himself can't fix yours. Is it the new identity you've been given that you don't believe in? That because it's you're a dearly loved because of his resurrection, I mean dearly loved by God, I'm the same old person I can't change. I know some of your stories. You've told me, and, and this is where some of you are. But the gospel is good news for all who believe. If it's not amazing news to you that Jesus himself now calls you friend, then it's a faith problem. It's a faith problem. It's the same as a worship problem. It's the same as a it's all about me problem. So if God does all the work, why do I need to be involved at all? Well, you don't. You don't. But you're invited to participate in the best party that you will ever experience. Yes, better than Universal Studios. To be firsthand involved in someone coming to Christ and then using that to go out and glorify God. God lets us play a role in that. That you were a hammer or a level or a square or a drill in God's hands as he crafts something beautiful and specific in that person. People who accept this invitation will have their spiritual lives changed forever. Sometimes we even get to see the fruit. 
Susie that I started talking about from the Czech Republic. She stayed in our house during her singing tour. And then sometime later, we went to the Czech Republic uh, with a choir, and we met up with her again. Shortly after that, we brought her back here again to live with us, and she spent an entire summer. It's a, it's a long story. There's a lot to it. I'll be happy to share that with you sometime. <clears throat> but she was studying to become a Muslim when she came to live in our home. She ended up abandoning Islam and came to Christ. Some folks wanted to tell us that <clears throat> it was because of me and Michelle. And we insisted, no, it most certainly and absolutely was not. It was because God called her at that time. And if she would have stayed in somebody else's house, God still would have called her at that time and she, she would still be a blessed daughter of the king today. <clears throat> that beautiful three-way relationship between her and us and God is something that we will treasure and has blessed our lives immensely. I mean, we're family. And even today when we're in contact, she still calls us mom and dad. <clears throat> it was a period of growth that I just can't, can't explain. And we would have missed out on that had we said, no, we don't want to host any people from the Czech Republic this time. Let's take a break. Now she serves Jesus faithfully. She makes disciples of children over in the Czech Republic. So we don't always, or dare I even say, usually get to see the fruit of labor. Sometimes we plant the seed, God has somebody else water, and then he grows it way down the road. So don't let the invisibility of any fruit discourage you. I mean, in this case, we got to see the fruit. But either way, it's still a beautiful scene. We don't have to be part of it for it to be a beautiful scene all the way down the road. <clears throat> You've heard scripture that says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Usually that Luke 6 passage we use to rebuke someone for speaking harshly and how that reflects the condition of someone's mean-spirited heart. But we can also look at that scripture from the encouraging side. That when we allow Jesus, who is the better everything, all-sufficient, fill our cup instead of filling it with idols, then also the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I promised you some scripture that uh, starts with God reminding us of the reasons for our joy, and then that drives us to mission. So flip to where your finger's been holding its place in 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to look at verse 17, <clears throat> starting there. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. Hold up there for just a second. Remember Sam's sermon where uh, uh, he had talked about this story where uh, someone had gone to heaven and after the judgment seat, they were, uh, they were with the Lord in heaven and they said, Lord, which of my sins were the most offensive? I mean, I know you've forgiven them all, but which were the most hurtful? After a really long pause, God answered and said, I don't remember. Beautiful. Continuing on, 
and he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. He gives us the reason for beauty and then gives us the idea of it driving our hearts to mission. 1 Peter 2 does the same thing. You don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you. But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of Him. You can also check out these scriptures. It's kind of fun to look and see the beauty uh, that God tells us about beforehand that drives us to the mission at the end. You can write these down if you want. Psalm 67, 1 and 2, John 4, 7, 11, and John 20, 21. But let me ask this. What are some of your favorite pastimes or hobbies? One of mine is skiing. Uh, do you think about yours a fair amount? You jump at an open opportunity to go do it or at least talk to somebody about it who will listen? You know, the point is, we can't help but think about and talk about whatever it is we treasure. So yes, missions can start out just an act of obedience, first with some grumbling, but as we're sanctified and as we grow in our walk, it most definitely shifts to a labor of love. One that we're on fire about. The good news message of the gospel is what becomes our treasure. Something I hear quite a bit about church or about gospel communities is, well, I'm not really getting much out of it. Well, I'm going to rub you the wrong way here. Church, including Ridtree, does not exist primarily for your warm and fuzzy benefit. You might find that offensive, but while you might receive benefits and you might grow, we exist, why? To glorify God. How? Through seeing lives transformed by the gospel. David Bosch is a theologian. He wrote Transforming Mission. He says that mission is a movement directly from God to the world and that the church is the tool in God's hand for that mission. Carpenter, hammer, beautiful result. Let me say it another way. There's mission work to be done. God could pull a lucky charms and make the gospel magically delicious. Another Jeffism. But, and listen to this, he chooses to pick up a tool and use that to accomplish his work. The church of believers, not the church of the organization, the church of believers are his tool of choice. Alan Hirsch is an author that wrote The Forgotten Ways. And he believes the word missional, and I quote here, goes to the heart of the very nature and purpose of the church itself. So a working definition of missional church is a community of God's people that defines itself and organizes its life around its real purpose, being an agent of God's mission to the world. I'll repeat that for you. A working definition of missional church is a community of God's people that defines itself and organizes its life around its real purpose, being an agent of God's mission to the world. He continues on. In other words, the church's true and authentic organizing principle is mission. When the church is in mission, it is the true church. The church itself is not only a product of that mission, but it's obligated and destined to extend it by whatever means possible. The mission of God flows directly through every believer and every community of faith that adheres to Jesus. Now listen to this. To obstruct this is to block God's purposes in and through God's people. 
So you can see the church doesn't primarily exist as a distribution center for you to be a consumer and take what you want. Think of it more as a depository where you can deliver your giftings. Sam's always saying that church membership is full of commitment with zero benefits. This body of people, we all exist primarily to glorify God by being on mission for God. Here's one last quote from a great pastor's sermon. The way you'll know that you're abiding in Christ is if you're joyfully serving and loving others. And the key is joyfully. Because when you're doing it under your own strength, it's no longer a joy, but a burden. And if we're burdened by this whole thing, that's a pretty good sign that we're not believing the gospel and Christ is not sufficient in our life. And there are idols in our heart that need to be rooted out. End quote. That pastor was Craig McAlee. So if you see mission as an obligation instead of a natural overflow of the heart, address it. Not by addressing the steps to be on mission, but addressing the heart's unbelief in the totality of being called a friend of Jesus. So we looked at who's called, how we're called, idols that stand in the way, our unbelief. Let's look at some places where mission has shown up in our church, and then we'll close. Locally, we consider uh, Baldwin, Manchester, Ellisville, um, Winchester, and a little bit of Chesterfield. And what Kim's been doing is lining out here for us, we'll talk about this in a second, um, all the places where we live. <clears throat> so let's look at some of these in a little more detail. Um, it's also shown up in, spe- in, in different locations, but in different ways. We do service projects, there's evangelism, there's mission outreach and church planting, and they're all different. <clears throat> Some of the service project connections we've done right here at Crestview. Uh, we provided supplies for some of the struggling families. A couple of our ladies provided and served a meal to some of the uh, uh, workers here at uh, Crestview, some of the uh, staff and the teachers. Branching out a little bit, we've partnered with the city of uh, uh, Baldwin and Manchester. We've uh, been working on houses for some of the disadvantaged folks. Um, we've served at some of the city events, and we've taken up collections for the school Westridge Elementary. And then in the urban setting, there's churches on the streets. Some of our folks go there. I talked about that a little bit in the sermon uh, where we supply needs. We go actually where they live on the streets and uh, help provide some things for them. Uh, it's, it's, it's adults, it's little kids. They need food, they need clothing uh, just to stay warm. Uh, we were active. Now, not all of these worked out the way we'd planned. Sometimes God's plan is different, but we were active in the west side city neighborhood where we would do some grilling and um, did some repairs on some of their homes and we uh, uh, tried to set up a community garden. Then there's Mission STL. We're going to be making some connections with them. Uh, the students, I think, are taking a retreat there next month. Is that right? <clears throat> there's the Good Neighbor Initiative, where we can reach out to immigrant families, especially refugees, and help them uh, connect and get plugged in and uh, uh, adapt to their, their new environment, their new home. Uh, I was shocked to hear this. It's like 85 80 to 85% of refugee families that come here will never make an American friend. Man, you talk about an opportunity. Then there's personal missional evangelism. Each of us can proclaim Christ where we work, live, and play. And I hear stories about people doing that, and that is cool. Um, We had the No Place Left training that gave some practical tools on how to do that. 
Uh, we got the foreign land missions. We've been in Nicaragua and Haiti working with orphanages there uh, for a season. And of course, uh, we talked about our sister church in Mumbai where several folks have gone and served on uh, um, short-term mission trips. And there's going to be an opportunity for that coming up again. Uh, of course, the sending out of the Nevilles uh, to go to Mumbai. And we have a vision to increase that. And we also have a vision to possibly expand into Malawi with When the Saints. <clears throat> and then church planting. Uh, we have, of course, we all know about Mid-Cities. We know about the gathering in Mumbai. We were partnered with Ecclesia and St. Charles. There are two newer existing church plants. Um, one is called Apostles Church with Darren Casper. Uh, that's in St. Louis City. It's by Dr. Martin Luther King and Taylor. And it's interesting because it's north of the um, Del Mar Divide. And I had never heard of the Del Mar Divide before. If you haven't, it's interesting. Look it up. But it's kind of this um, mindset of a geographical line where prosperity and, and comfort kind of flourishes south of it and desperation and poverty is north of it. And interestingly enough, what Darren noticed is that there were almost no churches for people to go and hear the gospel in that northern part. And so he intentionally put his church there. Uh, some of you might remember Mike Bird who preached here. Well, here and here and here. And he was all over the place in, in, our, in our sanctuary. Um, very dynamic preacher. He's a uh, newly planted Faith Community Bible Church near Riverview and Hall Street. So we look forward to partnering with them in some, some capacity as well. So be in prayer for them and, and be in prayer uh, about the, the vision uh, for the next, and I like to call it planting of the gospel rather than planting of a church. Um, Jeff and David had kind of started that mindset. So rather than geographically looking and saying, even though we're going to be using geography here in a second, we don't necessarily say, oh gosh, we need a church every 10 miles. And so we're going to stick one here, whether it seems like the gospel needs to be planted there or not. So I prefer to look at it like we plant the gospel in lots of places, and then God decides which of those he wants to build up into a church. So those are some of the places where, um, where Red Tree's been active in mission. And it's a really exciting time. God's providing opportunities galore. Um, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. So... Uh, if you or your family feel you might be called to one of these types of missions or you have ideas for others um, that you'd like to spearhead, bring those forward. We'd love to hear about those. Talk with us, call us. Um, we'd love to just walk with you through that and explore that. So I'll finish up with some more great news. <clears throat> What's going on over here is a mapping of the areas where our church body exists. So all of these are, the, the pins that you put in are all church members, and Kim has connected them all with strings so we can kind of see what areas um, where we have an opportunity to plant the gospel and what areas we have not yet planted the gospel. So there's tons of space here that doesn't have pins. So this is just a, a really nice visual of opportunity to go and plant the gospel where you can be on mission. You're like, well, I don't, I'm not sure. Where should I go? Well, i got, got about a gazillion streets here you can go to. <clears throat> So we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be discouraged. I'll finish up with this. I know that's a scary term because when Jeff uses that, he's got about 40 more minutes to go. But uh, I promise you I don't have 40 more minutes to go. <clears throat> God, Jehovah Nisi, goes before us. Jehovah Nisi means the Lord my banner. So in battle, when these uh, old-time uh, folks would go out and battle, they would carry a banner with their colors saying whose kingdom was fighting against whom and who was going to be taken over by whom. So 
God goes before us carrying his banner, Jehovah Nisi, preparing the way in the hearts of the people that we haven't even met yet. And then he also goes along with us. So we don't have to be afraid or discouraged. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So Craig preached on Christ and how he's all-sufficient. Jesse preached on community and how that all-sufficiency gets worked out in our lives and the lives of our fellow believers. And today we see how the all-sufficiency of Christ gets worked out through us for non-believers, driving us to mission. I've told you before how I like to connect Old Testament and New Testament. I love how they, how they fit together. So I have an Old Testament scripture for you. Uh, Psalm 67. Excuse me, it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing, for you rule the peoples with equity and you guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you. God, may all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest, but God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will revere him. In the New Testament, we have 1 Peter 2.9, which we heard earlier from Mary. But you are a chosen people. Oh no, I'm sorry, Mary read to us Romans. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. Family, we have a natural God-given longing. And we don't, when we don't fill it with the gospel, that void just gets filled with our own idols. So as I began, it all starts with faith in the entire truth of God's love for us, the gospel, to fill us up and to overflow. And it's only at that point that outreach will be authentic and drive us to love one another enough to be on mission. And we didn't choose him, he chose us. Let's pray. Father, you are a good, good God. And you've given us all that we need to fill us and to overflow our hearts. I just pray that you would teach us to know that from deep inside so that we wouldn't rely on our own strengths to carry out your work, but that we would rely on your strengths. God, I know that it's when I'm the weakest that you're the strongest. And then the very taste of mission can become sweet. Amen.